Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and today we are joined by Bethany Kamstra, our community engagement and justice intern here at Granite Springs, which means she's helping us think through what it looks like for Granite Springs to be a church that loves our neighbor and serves our community, both now during COVID-19 as we record, but also in the future. She's in her senior year at William Jessup University, and as I suspect you'll hear, has a deep love for the church and a passion to see the church engage thoughtfully, justly, and wholeheartedly with the world in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus. I know you'll hear that from her and you'll enjoy hearing her reflections today. So let's begin. Here's Bethany reading Psalm 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you, for you have upheld my right and my cause. You have sat on your throne, judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken the enemy. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the people with justice. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done, for he who avenges blood remembers. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death, that I may declare your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion, and there rejoice in your salvation. The nations have fallen into the pit they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to the grave, all the nations that forget God. But the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted ever perish. Arise, O Lord, let not man triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. Bethany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. You and I have had many conversations yes. <laughs> as uh, kind of intern and pastor, but I think this is the first conversation we've ever recorded. Yeah, how exciting. So, and, and I think you told me this is maybe your first podcast appearance. It's like true. Like any podcast? <laughs> yes. Wow. Maybe you'll catch a bug. And I look forward to seeing, you know, the Bethany podcast coming out in 2021 or something. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's just dive in. You know, we have these three questions. The listener knows we have these three questions. And so we're going to work our way through them as we reflect on this psalm, one of the longer psalms, I think, actually, so far that we've encountered in the Psalter. So there's plenty Mm. here uh, to reflect on together. But our first question, and the question always goes to the guest for uh, first response. Okay. Is, Bethany, what stood out to you in reading this psalm? Yeah. Again, there was a lot. So I'll just choose a few Mm -hmm. things. I really loved how there's just a clear reverence for God in these verses. It's not just a, you are so good. It's look what you've done for me and Mm. what you've done for your people and how you've been faithful. And that God just has such a love for his people and it's clear in how the psalmist is describing him 
so I really loved that. I also loved how he described the world and the wicked in the world. I thought it was interesting because I've always had this just kind of internal battle of like, oh my gosh, he's so angry at his enemies and mm. he's calling for God to destroy them. And I've just uh -huh. been like, I don't know if I can get on board with that, <laughs> but sure. I think this verse really helped me understand that because God is not just judging the world. He's judging the world in righteousness and he recognizes mm. how sin is destroying the world. And he really just calls on God to bring justice to those areas of just sin and it's falling apart. Mm. I also, the last couple of verses, I thought, like, at first they really surprised me, and, but I huh. really like them of let not man triumph, let the nations know they are but men. I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. to look at how he views humanity and how it's so fallen, and they're really trapping themselves. They are setting mm. traps up that they are falling into. So I thought that was really interesting just to describe humanity without God as they're really destroying themselves. And so hmm. calling for God to step in to kind of destroy his enemies, but to destroy what they're doing to themselves, which I thought was really interesting. That is a fascinating way to put it. He's both asking God to step in and then also acknowledging that when God lets the natural course of events happen, it's going to fall apart, like mm -hmm. you're saying, right? Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden, yeah. right? This is how he describes in verse 15 what's happening to the nations. I, I love that you brought attention to the end of the psalm because that's what stood out to me. There's something, my translation, I think yours said, let the nations, the last line was let the nations know they are only men or they something like that. They are but men, yeah. Oh, they are but men. So my translation says, let the nations know they are only mortal. Mm. And it's the same word, the Hebrew word. I was looking at this a little bit. It's literally men, but it is a particular kind of use of it that emphasizes our human frailty. Mm. And yeah. so, so that's why I think my translation brings forth the mortality. It's both kind of poetic, it's poignant. And I was struck by the fact that this psalm reminded me of just how beautifully the Bible kind of speaks to itself and is interacting with itself. So when I was reflecting on the nations and their frailty, so to speak, my mind was drawn back to Babel, this story in Genesis where humanity yeah. is basically striving, right? They're, you could argue maybe in that case, part of the issue is that they have, they are almost more than mortal. They, right. are, they are not just frail. They are building this tower up to God and presumably almost to be like gods. And mm. so God comes down and scatters them, reminds them of who they are. And of course, the New Testament inverse of Babel is this scene in Pentecost in Acts 2. So if in Babel, the people are scattered and their languages are all uh, separated, so to speak, in Pentecost in Acts 2, the people are brought together because mm. of the Spirit and people can understand, right? The, the language is sort of unified in a remarkable kind of miraculous way. In Babel, you see humanity kind of striking out on their independent path, mm, right? Yeah. Like we, we are doing things independently of God. And then in Pentecost, you see what is bringing people together now is a fundamental dependence on the Spirit of God. And part of what's marvelous and what the people marvel at is this is not something that humans can do. And so for me, as I read right. these last two verses, 
it felt like those stories were kind of swirling in the midst of this psalm because you have this image of these people who are seeking, yeah, independence, kind of doing their own thing, really contrasted with these groups, the needy, the oppressed, those who are afflicted, who are dependent on God. And the psalmist is quite clear, I think, on whose side God is falling. So that was just like, I mean, that, that was maybe indulgent to take kind of a trip through the Bible. But as I read these, I was just like, the, the stories all link up and they reflect on each other, right? These sort of universal human uh, experiences. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of like a begging for the world to be humbled, to recognize that. Hmm. Just not letting man triumph, as he says. I feel like, like you said, they have just developed a godlike point of view. Like, they just think that they are above God. And so... He's really, I really liked that about this whole psalm that he says that the oppressed and the needy are dependent on God and they trust God where the rest of the world Mm -hmm. does not. But he's almost begging God to force that dependency on them just to say, you are not God. Mm. And here's what happens when you think you are. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. This goes into a conversation that I've been having with a number of people throughout these conversations is when you start to dive into the Psalms more deeply, you realize the ways that often the people who are being described either as the enemies of God or the people who are not acting wisely often reflect on you Mm. (laughs) as right. (laughs) So it's like, okay, when I start to read this and think about like, okay, these are the people who maybe think they're in control of their life. These are the people mm-hmm. who feel like they can live independently of right. God. I'm like, uh-oh. When I zoom out and start to have that perspective of who these people are, right. it's like that that always rings a little too close to home. Yeah. Know? And so the prayer, like you said, the prayer that God would humble these people then becomes a prayer that God would humble me, which right. becomes a much more uncomfortable <laughs> prayer to right. pray. <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. Let's move on to our second question and ask, what do we learn about God from this psalm? Yeah. There was a lot in here, and I loved yeah. all of the descriptive words. Some of my favorites mm-hmm. were that he's a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. He is known by his justice. He never forsakes mm-hmm. those who seek him. He's trustworthy. I, I love that he just said even the mention of his name means all of those things to his people. I loved that he is just described as someone who is just a warrior for justice and that the psalmist Mm. trusts him in that he knows that he is a refuge he knows that he is a stronghold he knows that he will bring justice there's just such a faith in his words it's not a kind of doubting or hoping that god will be these things he truly believes it and i love that i love that he does take care of those who need him and he has never forsaken them or yeah i think also in i think it's verse 10 for you lord have never forsaken those who seek you i think that's beautiful like you just seek god and he will be there but it just takes that action on our part but then he's just there so yeah yeah in my translation there's sort of oh, I don't know, five or six stanzas. And three of those stanzas each end with a refrain talking about how God cares for a group Mm. of people. Yeah. So it's this recurring kind of theme. But the word I wrote down reflecting on exactly what you're saying is God is obsessed. He's Mm. obsessed with the overlooked. 
it it's clearly sort of uh, he's preoccupied with these people in a wonderful in kind of a wonderful way I think mm. uh, there's yeah there's a, there's absolutely truth to say that God loves everyone but the Psalms also remind us God is listening in a particular way to these people yeah. and he cares for them in a particular way and we're invited to kind of join in that care which is a wonderful thing but yeah. Yeah, I just found that kind of obsession, yeah. sort of a, a fatherly obsession with these people to be fascinating. And it, it's all different people, right? It's uh, the oppressed, it's those who seek him, it's the afflicted. And in some ways, maybe these are all synonymous, but they also are all kind of giving us different facets mm. of kind of the diamond. I'm curious, you know, this is a bonus question that I okay. didn't prepare you for, <laughs> but last year you worked a ton at World Relief. That was part of your internship last year with us was this partnership internship where you spent a lot of time there and then some time here. And so got to kind of be on the ground floor working with refugees in Sacramento. And I'd I'd just be curious to hear, you know, you were talking about the confidence that the psalmist Mm. has that God is on the side of these people and how, yeah, how you, you can imagine this psalm and what you're kind of hearing from this psalm influencing that kind of justice work in our world. A different way to ask it is how this psalm sort of provides fuel for that, for that kind of work, yeah, or nourishes it, so to speak. I think, especially with just New Testament, we are really stepping into the story of God's justice and mm. just saying... God, I know that you are on the side of these people and we are willing to step into that with you. I think the work of World Relief is really illustrating this psalm. They act as Mm. the hands and feet of God as being a stronghold in times of trouble, as being a refuge for the oppressed. Because I think that that is what we're supposed to do. That's what God does. That's what his love looks like. His love is so powerful. It's a love that will just sit with you in your pain, but it's also a love that will fight for you and fight for your justice. And I think that's Hmm. beautiful. And so I love seeing how Christians and how Christian organizations will step into that and really be that refuge, be that stronghold and be a reflection of God in that. It's just, it's not letting people sit in their pain, which I think right now in these times is so hard because I think... Christians are finding out how to step into God's love. And hmm. I think I've been frustrated with some that are not fighting for the justice of like sitting with people and saying, God cares about you. And I'm going to also step into that. So I think I've been really encouraged with seeing how world relief and how Granite Springs church is very just present and not just acknowledging the pain but saying god is for you god is on your side Mm. and god will fight for justice so yeah i love seeing how different christian organizations really step into that role of fighting for the justice that god fights for and how his love is so powerful in that in the world that's really well said bethany for a question i did not prepare you (laughs) for in advance you know i think what i what I take from what you're saying is it's specific. The, it's tempting to read a psalm like this almost as platitudes, as sort of spiritual, a spiritual bomb, you know, to say the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times yeah. of trouble. One way to hear that, and I think often a way that it can be easy to read that, it's like, oh yeah, God is with those people. 
like even in the midst of their hardship. But what I admire about organizations like World Relief and the work you did with them is it's like, hold on. If we are partnering with God's work of justice, if we're continuing his work of justice, as you talked about earlier, then we need to think what it literally means to provide refuge for these people. Hmm, like what yeah. it literally means to provide a stronghold, which includes resources, like right. it includes literal refuge sometimes, right? As we can. Right. A roof over their heads is part of the specificity. And part of poetry is it helps us kind of imagine specificity mm-hmm. of how this can look like, but it also calls us then to that. Thanks for sharing a few reflections about kind of how that intersects. Let's ask our last question, shall we? How does this psalm help us to pray? Mm. Again, I think I'll go back to the end of the psalm in just praying that our world will be humbled and humbled in recognizing our need for a savior. I mean, we can say the wicked, the just sinful people in our world, but also I think Christians, like you said, we all fall into some of these traps. I just think praying for humility and recognize of our need for a savior. I think that's the first step because we can't pray for true justice unless we are recognizing the sinful nature of our world and even of ourselves. Hmm. I think also kind of like I touched on in the beginning, praying with a faith that God is all of these things, not praying that God will for some reason change his mind and save the world. Like he already has that heart for justice and for caring for his people. So praying with a faith that he is already providing and he will continue to provide. I think, I think that was really a little bit convicting for me because even Mm. like just in times of trouble, it's easy to be like, where are you, God? I don't really see you. So you must not care. But I think this was a good reminder of this is in his character. He does care about the oppressed and about the needy. And he still has that active love for his people. So I think, Mm -hmm. again, instead of just praying that God will come, I think stepping into God's story and even kind of like you were talking about with World Relief, how can we step into the story of justice? Praying Mm -hmm. that God reveals those paths and calls Christians into those paths because it's such a need for us to be the hands and feet in this heart of God. Mm. Which again, I think takes a humility of just praying, God, where am I falling short in this? Where am I missing what you're calling us to do? I really love just the language of justice and righteousness and even Mm -hmm. judgment, just that we pray that his will be done. That's a nice connection to the the Lord's Prayer, because I do think just like praying the Lord's Prayer, there's, you know, sometimes it's easy to gloss over those words, but it is a big deal to ask that God's will be done. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a big deal, you know, to pray Psalm 9, to ask both like what you're saying, that we, the nations and ourselves would be humbled, would be aware of our own frailty, uh, and also that God would restore things. You know, one of the things that I noted was in verse in verse 5, 6, even 7, there's some question here. Obviously, we don't know the full context of the psalm, but David is talking as if these things have already happened. Yeah. And it's not clear that they actually have. He is talking with a confidence that is not necessarily sort of journalistic reporting, but a confidence that comes from faith. So the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for yeah. judgment, 
right? In some sense, that is already true, but the fullness of it we're still waiting for. And one of the things as I thought about this psalm and the confidence with which it declares things that might not even be fully realized yet was that sometimes our prayers are actually an exercise in faith. In other words, sometimes we think you have faith and then you pray because you have faith. But sometimes I think we practice our faith in our prayer. So it's not just sort of, it's not merely sort of repentance and it's not merely sort of getting to a place of faith, but actually we're practicing. I wonder what it would mean for us to say, like, God, you have been with me. And to make that sort of a regular prayer, even if we're not quite sure that God has been with us, Right. right? As a way to exercise and practice putting on sort of this robust faith and this trust in God sometimes helps us along the way, I think, to deeper belief and deeper understanding. So I think some of that is actually maybe happening in this. I mean, yeah. I'm not doubting that David has confidence right. in God, but the strength and the declarative nature, you know, and then for people throughout centuries to be saying these words, yeah. right? This kind of growing in faith that I love. And it, I think it reminds me also going back to your humility, we are dependent on not only God outside of ourselves, but on one another. Sometimes we have to lean on the words of something like the Psalms to both remind us of these truths and to call us into them. I think that's also shown just in the kind of setup of the Psalm. Like he of course talks about how troubled the nations are and how God provides that refuge for the oppressed. But before any of that, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my yeah. heart. I will tell of your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name. I think before he even sees how God is living out his love and justice, he's praising him for what he has done and how he has done that already. And he is telling yeah. of those things. So I think it's powerful. Mm. I think that's the note to end on, to go back to the beginning and the way the whole psalm is framed. So that was beautifully done. Bethany, it's like you have done many podcasts before (laughs) to just drop that in at the end. Well done. I hope hope this was a positive experience. Yes, this was fun. I loved it. Well, I'm really thankful that you're willing to come on and talk about Psalm 9. Really a remarkable psalm to get to dive in and spend some time with. So thanks. Thanks for making the time and thanks for sharing both some of your own experience and your reflections on this psalm. I know people will enjoy and delight in hearing them. Ah, Well, thank you. I hope so. Well, friends, let's end with a refrain here from the psalm. God will never forget the needy and the hope of the afflicted will never perish. Go out and pray the psalms. Mm